Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We're at chapter 19 of the book of Exodus this morning. Uh, so you see on your screen the text, uh, so on the third, in the third month, uh, of going out of the people of Israel from, uh, the land of Egypt, by Yom Hazeh, on, on that very day, Ba'umid Barsinai, they came to Mid Barsinai. So what is that very day? We just, we're, we're told in the third month. What, what's on that very day? What very day? What did we just study last time? What did we study about Chodesh? Ah, exactly. Was that Lisa Rosenbaum? All right. So we studied about the new moon. So what day are they talking about here? The third new moon from going up. So it's not just in the third month. It's on that very day, meaning the very day that it is the third month. How do the rabbis translate this, Bert Kleinman? Bayom hazeh ba'umid barsinai. Today. Exactly. Exactly. Linda and Bert, gold stars. This day, today, the voice is going out from Sinai. Every day, Every day. Mm-hmm. the voice is going out from Sinai. Because if you are a Neoplatonist, a Neo-Aristotelian, like Rambam, like Maimonides, there cannot be a change in God. God is the unmoved mover, right? So if there's no change in God, God can't be talking one second and then not the next. So God is always broadcasting Torah. It's about us tuning in to the signal. Okay. My daughter said she's in a philosophy class and she was supposed to read Aristotle. Right. And she was just like, I don't understand one word of this. Not one word. Right. So like, so for Aristotle and for Plato, there can't be a change in God because God is perfection. And if something is perfect, there's no change in it. If there's a change, it means something was needed that wasn't there before. Well, that's not perfection. Thought thinking itself, right? This is this. So Rambam and, and the commentators from the medieval period are Neoplatonists. They are Neo-Aristotelian. So they love this idea that, right, by today, as every day, as every moment, God is always broadcasting Torah. But doesn't that also imply that that's always been there even before? Yeah, oh, 100%. And so people have to sort of be in the right place to finally hear it? Absolutely. Very good. Absolutely. All right. So they moved on from Rephidim and came to the wilderness of Sinai and encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped opposite the mountain. But Moshe went up to God and God called Minhahar from the mountain saying, so shall you say to Beit Yaakov, who's Beit Yaakov, and we'll say to the house of Israel, who's Beit Yaakov. And so Bnei Israel is pretty clear. Why do we need two terms here? Why does it say the house of Jacob and the people of Israel? Both names. Both names of, of, of Yaakov and Israel. Beautiful. So to make it complete. Isn't there also the indication that there's other people there besides the, uh, you know, Egyptians, basically? Uh, so how does that solve the problem of Beit Yaakov and Bnei Israel? Because this looks like Department of Redundancy Department. Well, you cannot have that in Torah. So for the rabbis, 
These have to be two different terms. They have to mean two different things. God doesn't repeat God's self, God forbid. So we would have, sorry, you children get to join the team, basically. Sorry. Then why do you need House of Jacob and the children of Israel, the people of Israel? If you're joining the team, you're joining. Yeah, but you're not House of Jacob. If I'm, you get to, you're only House of Jacob if you're a descendant of Jacob. You're a descendant of Israel. B'nai Israel is descendant of Israel. So that's not how the rabbi saw it. Uh, Mehmet, say it again. Uh, so the ones, everyone after Jacob became uh, uh, Israel, and anyone uh, before Jacob was called Israel. Very creative. Very creative. The rabbis say Beit Yaakov refers to the women. Um, women are the ones who create a bayit, to create a home, who create the house. So it is very clear to the rabbis that this means men and women were part of Revelation. Yeah. Beit Yaakov is the women. B'nai Israel are the sons of Israel, the men. And Beit Yaakov is the women take care of the house. Yeah. Exactly. Beit Yaakov, women are the ones who make a home, who make it a, a, the bait to make it the house. All right. So can't believe that rabbis were ahead of us, people. Yeah. The rabbis were ahead of us. Yeah. All right. So both to men and to women, right? Ooh, that's pretty big. Um, you yourselves have seen, you, you saw what I did to Mitzrayim, to Egypt. That, that I brought you, that I lifted you all, right? On the wings of eagles. And brought you to me. So we're going to spend a lot of time there. When we come back. But now, if you will listen to my voice and you will keep my covenant, then you shall be to me everything belongs to me, but y'all, if y'all listen and you keep my covenant, then y'all will be segula. <clears throat> so we know this word from uh, parent languages to Hebrew, um, where it denotes, uh, from Akkadian, it denotes a singularly treasured possession, and it can refer to a person as well. So we have in the Akkadian record a, a king who describes the king's servant as Segula. So you are my treasured servant, but it, but you are my possession as well. Remember, people were possessions. Um, in the ancient world and, uh, often. And so, um, so this means a particularly treasured possession to which the owner has exclusive rights of ownership. Right. So this is not a co-op, right? Where lots of folks have a portion of it. This means you are mine and mine alone and you are precious, right? And, and treasured. I like the word if. <laughs> right? Because it's conditional. It is absolutely conditional. So when we get to Deuteronomy again, right, we're going to remember the terms of the conditions, right? We're going to get that mapped out pretty specifically in Deuteronomy. Yes. All right. And y'all shall be to me a kingdom of Kohanim, of priests, Kadosh, and a nation that is Set aside is holy. 
And these are the things you shall say to the descendants of Israel. So what does this mean? You will be to me a kingdom of priests. So first of all, you have to be a mamlechet. You have to be a kingdom. Why? Why does it say a kingdom? Hmm. You don't have sovereignty. And if you don't have sovereignty, you don't have choice. You must be a mamlechad. You have to have sovereignty in your land or you don't get to be what, what kind of a nation this is calling you into. You don't have options. You must be a mamlechad. You have to have your own kingdom. It's a big deal. Thank you, Lisa, for people who were just slaves. Y'all will have the the freedom and the responsibility to create a, a kingdom. <laughs> like I'm trying to find another word, right? The circumstances whereby you live into this agreement. I think there's only one country in the world now that considers itself a kingdom, Saudi Arabia. Well, well, well right, but the, but the point oh, is, right. yes, this was the the model in the ancient world. That's not the point. The point is. I'm going to make sure y'all have the possibility to create a society based in the agreement we're about to make. So that's important. Mamlechet is important. You will be your own sovereign nation of what? Kohanim. What, what, what does that mean? Obviously not everybody's going to be a Kohen. Right? We know that. We've read the, we've read on in the story. Not everybody's going to be a Kohen. Not everybody's going to be a priest. So what does, what, so this is obviously a metaphor. What, so what does this mean about what kind of a mamlechet we're going to be? Everybody needs to serve God. Oh, 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 okay. So who do Kohanim serve? The people. Well, they serve the people and God. So what's the role of the Kohanim? You're, you're on the right track. Well, the sacrifices. In order to? Bring the people close to God. So what is our job as a mamlechet? What is our specific job as a kingdom? To bring people to God. So someone who wants to tell you we never proselytize has not read the Torah. We are supposed to bring the other nations to an understanding of the one. And what that would demand to live a life of holiness, to build a society based in the values that we will now see expressed in the rest of Torah. That is our special role in the world. This is these are the words that God is telling Moses to say to people. Correct. Correct. This is your, this is what, if you keep this breach, if you keep the terms of this covenant, this is what you will become. That's what it means to be a Kohen. To be a Kohen, your job is to serve in such a way that you bring God and the people close together. 
That is to be Israel's job in the world. Everyone. To bring everyone to yud Not just us. Not just us. If you, if you, if you look at, if you look at our daughter religions, we haven't done too badly. I mean, more than half the world sees Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh as the supreme being. Beautiful. So Richard says, look, it was a success. Richard, I knew, and I didn't want to jump in, but I was thinking the same thing. And actually, I feel like in my own life, people who have not met a Jewish person or know, like, how we connect with God or are traditionists, um, and they kind of, through the lens of their daughter religion, kind of say, oh, you're a Jewish person, so you're the key to me getting to heaven type of thing, you know, which is great. Um, Actually, you're the key to them getting into heaven when you convert. Yeah. To Christianity. So let's be clear. Let's be clear. Once you convert to Christianity, you're now the key. Once the Jews convert, right, everything can proceed. And the other daughter religion, right, unfortunately, our relationship is not terrific with right, a, a lot of that. So, but let's be clear. That, right. So they are, they are Judaism's siblings. We are, right. Okay. Um, okay. I lost, totally lost my chain of thought. Okay. The first portion is called Yitra. Yeah, because huh? I said, yes, the first portion is called Yitra. Yes, because the first word of the Parsha is, is about Yitra. Yeah, but I'm just thinking about that's who Moses spoke with before he had this conversation with God. Uh-huh. Well, it kind of works, actually, because Yitro is, is made to recognize, it's sort of, they're fulfilling the mission. I, I'm saying Yitro is actually a good title. Um, right, because Yitro... Some people, the rabbis want to say Yitro accepts yod heh as his God and converts, right? You know, becomes proselyte. But actually, in the ancient world, you, you could worship many gods. And so all it says is Yitro sacrifices to, to yod heh which doesn't necessarily mean anything other than he recognizes yod heh as a god that helped out the Israelites. But there's also Baal and Asherah and Isis and what it, you know, so yeah, I'm not sure what it, but it doesn't matter. Okay. The Goy Kadosh, right? And you will be a, a nation that is Kadosh. So your job will be to bring people to God, the rest of the people, and you will be a nation that is about pursuing Kedusha holiness. And these are the things that you will say to B'nai Israel, right? So Moshe comes and says to the elders of the people, like he, he calls them, right? And now he tells the elders what God just said. So we have, we have a division of Sinai where only Moshe can go to the top. The middle section of Sinai is for the elders. The bottom is for the people. What does this structure remind us of? Yeah. Top, only Moshe, middle, only the leaders, the bottom is the people. What do, what structure does this remind us of? Divine right of kings. All right, I'll give you a clue. Holy of holies, the Mishkan. Reminds me of patriarchy. <laughs> there you go. It's patriarchy. Uh, duh. So, okay, so 
This is the exact structure of the tabernacle. Only Aaron can go into the Holy of Holies. The priests can go into the middle section and the people are right at the bottom and can't touch it at all. That's exactly what's happening at Sinai. Why is that important? Because the Mishkan is a traveling Sinai. Right? The the Mishkan is a traveling Sinai. They take the experience at Sinai and carry it through the desert and bring it to the promised land so that it is always with them. The portable representation of what happened at Sinai is always with them. Yes. Now, it was only when I was at Hartman recently, this past summer, that I had an epiphany. And that is, God is at Sinai. They don't really know a lot about this relationship to this God until Sinai. There are some scholars who want to suggest it is that Moshe encounters Yudhevavhei in the right in the open place, that that's where Yudhevavhei lives, right? Deities were local, and God lives at the mountain. And Moshe encounters God at the sneh, at the bush, where God lives. And now they're coming back through, right? And they have revelation at God's mountain. If the Mishkan is a portable Sinai, then it means that the people carried God from Sinai to the promised land. We think of it the other way, that God brought the people to the promised land. But really, if you take this literally, the people carried God from Sinai to Israel. <laughs> I almost gave a high holiday sermon on it. I couldn't figure out what the direct, what the Kiddush is, but I, there's still a sermon in there because it blew my mind too. Like, think about that. That really, it's we who carry God from the howling wasteland into what's possible for building a society based on the we carry God if we choose. If we choose, we schlep God from the desert to the promised land where God's desire for us to be a mamlechet kohanim can be fulfilled. But, well, Did I just hear a but, Richard Rade? Well, no but. And? And but. Uh, well, two things. One is going along with that, what, what the Israelites actually do is they globalize God because they right. remove him from a, from a, from a locality. And they put him in another place. They global, they globe, they Correct. globalize. Correct. But, but what you're saying is the, the people carrying God is very reminiscent of like 19th century, like Feuerbach and others who basically said that God is a human creation. We created this global God by carrying him from the local place to the, to another place. Just saying. Just saying. Yes. Right. That blows my mind. Like David, it kind of blew my mind. It's like, wow. So, and isn't that the still the job? Isn't that still the work? We are supposed to access the divine in such a way that we then schlep the divine into the world. 
the divine at Sinai means nothing. If God calls from the top of a mountain and there's not a people to accept the mission, who, who cares? The whole point of the story is that we say, we will do it. Now let us understand what the heck that means. And that that is ongoing. We know that as a people. We believe revelation is ongoing. That's why we're sitting here, right? It is ongoing. Our trying to figure out how to apply this today is ongoing. How to apply it in the choices I make in my life, personally, every day. That It's supposed to impact the decisions we make as individuals, as communities, as a world community, so that the divine has relevance. We have to be willing to schlep God from the mountain into the world. That's a huge mission. Of course, it's very metaphorical. <laughs> You're carrying within us the Torah. We're, we're carrying that, yes. that to spread. The question I have is, is the, the concept of still not being proselytizers valid? I mean, we don't actively go out and search. So I was really pushed away. For- I'll just say a few things about it. So we were always proselytizers. Always. If someone wants to learn Torah, you teach them Torah. And if they want to join the Jewish people, they join the Jewish people. So you teach them on one foot, convert them, and then teach them the rest. But you don't go out solicit someone. Yes, you do. You teach. And if people want to come sit and learn, they come and sit and learn. When did it stop? The Romans tortured. Think about your Yom Kippur liturgy. The, the martyrs who were flayed alive, wrapped in a Sefer Torah and burned. Torture was a form of dissuading people from teaching Torah. And if you taught Torah and converted someone, you were murdered in a very grisly fashion because Rome was threatened by a rebellion, which happened. Mm -hmm. They weren't wrong. We rebelled. It was crushed, but right, Rome didn't want to have to deal with that. So you were tortured and murdered if you taught Torah. That's when we stopped because it was dangerous. So if they sent a spy, Judith, will you teach me Torah? Judith would say, heck to the no. We don't do that. We don't proselytize because you were trying to save your life. And it could be a trap. So we, so we became anti-proselytizers because it was a trap. Our tradition that a rabbi was supposed to refuse three times. So yeah, so that's all late. That's all yeah. after yeah. martyrdom. That is all after, right, Rome. And that's what I experienced. Of course. So, but that, but that's not, there's nothing fundamentally there in our tradition that says you shouldn't compete in the free marketplace of ideas. And there are those of us who now believe we should be competing in the free marketplace of ideas. If people want to join the Jewish people, come and learn. <laughs> come and learn. You want to, you want to be part of this project? Come. <laughs> right? 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 There's right. A few of us. This, this table's full of them. Right? Why shouldn't we? encourage anyone who wants to check this out to check it out why wouldn't we wasn't there also a period when jews felt very threatened from the outside 
and they were building, I'm thinking more 19th century Europe, or before then, where they wanted to build a fence around the Jewish people to protect themselves from outside influences. Um, I don't think it's that as much as it was. If you're obsessed about keeping halacha, then your concern is people who convert might not be sincere enough to keep all the halacha. Therefore, we will get check minuses in the big black book when they eat treif, when they break Shabbos. So it becomes this kind of crazy, in, in that sense, insular. They're not going to keep taryag mitzvah, the 613 mitzvot, and therefore we're, we're going to get Dim, what do you call it? Demerit mm-hmm. in the big black book, and that's going to delay Messiah coming. This is mostly in the Ashkenazic world, yes. Northern Europe, hundred percent. So, anyway, so but that's but that's not that's not it anymore. We're not worried about that. We're not worried about people keeping halacha, right? Oh, maybe they'll join the Jewish people, and they're not going to be so observant. How many Jews do you know that are observant? Like the observance is not the point for us. Right? But if you want to ally yourself with us as a people, come check it out. Because the worst that all, the least that will happen, hopefully, is that we produce allies. Come taste. Come learn with us. Come celebrate with us. Come do Shabbos with us. Come sing outside for Shabbat on the Rocks. Come have a cocktail and sing. The, the worst that happens is that we create allies who understand a little bit more about how we think and how we approach things. The best that will happen is that somebody joins the Jewish people. And now we have more celebrating Jews in the world, right? So it's win-win as far as I'm concerned, as far as many of us are concerned. The non-Orthodox. In the non-Orthodox, yes, to be, to be clear. All right. So Susan's posting about on Eagle's wings, which is exactly where we're going to go. I have been very serious with y'all the last few weeks, probably the last month and a half. And you've been amazing. You've, you've stayed with me. Um, and so I decided I'm going to give you a treat and I'm going to go easy on you, um, this week. Um, so we're going to, we're going to go to this, uh, beautiful imagery in Torah. Hopefully it's not any less poignant, but it's not going to be quite as much as I've laid on you the last month and a half. So we're back at 19.3. Moshe goes up to God. Yurevafe called to Moshe from the mountain saying, thus shall you say to the house of Jacob and declare to the people of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to me. Okay. So let's see. Remember, when we want to really check out what does anything actually mean, we go to Rashi. Rashi's very concerned with what do things actually, what do words actually mean? Then he might drosh it a little. But we're going to go to what does that mean on eagles', on eagles wings? <clears throat> Rashi says, as an eagle, which bears its fledglings upon its wings. Scripture uses this metaphor because all other birds place their young between their feet, since they are afraid of another bird that flies above them. But the eagle fears none except humanity, apprehending that perhaps the human may shoot an arrow at it, since no bird can fly above it. Therefore, the eagle places its young on its wings because nothing's, they're safe because there's nothing above the eagle in the natural world. Nothing flies higher than it. 
Um, cause, cause the parent bird says better that the arrow should pierce me than my young. And, uh, Rashi bases this on the Mechilta de Rabbi Yishmael. I too said God did thus. And the angel of God journeyed, etc., and came between the camp of Egypt, etc. Remember we read that last week when they're crossing the sea? Remember? And the Egyptians were casting arrows and stone missiles, and the cloud caught these. So God is actually behaving at the Exodus like the bird that is ready to take the arrow for the young, because God absorbed the arrows of the Egyptian army on the chariots by placing the pillar behind the people. God absorbed all the arrows and all of the stone missiles, says Rashi. So it's not just a metaphor. It is a metaphor, but but God actually did this, just like the eagle does, right? And I brought you unto myself, the Targum says, and I've brought you near to my service, right? Because because what's Rashi's problem? Why does Rashi have to answer, and I brought you unto myself? Why does Rashi have to comment on that? What's Rashi worried about? What's bothering Rashi? This is how you learn Parshanut. You have to ask, what's bothering Rashi? Why does he have to drosh that? It seems pretty obvious. Why Why bring a comment on that? He's trying to resolve the apparent dichotomy of... of God being centered in a place and yet having some emanation of God in a different place, bringing people beautiful. to the first place. Beautiful. God's everywhere. Maloko Ha'aretz Kavodo. The whole earth is filled with God's presence. What does it mean I brought you to me? What do, That's what's bothering Rashi. Richard's exactly right. What do you mean brought you to me? God's everywhere. So don't read, God forbid, God's in a place and God wasn't there before and brought you to God, God forbid. It means brought you near to my service, closer to me in a, in a different way. The eagle gets shot and is taking on these arrows. The eagle goes down and so does the things. Okay, well, thanks for that, Lisa. Yeah. Thanks for that. Okay. Thanks for that. Okay. Um, wow. Okay. Wet blanket that that was. Okay. <laughs> so they, the idea is that they're fledging, right? So that they would fly, you know, but yes, that, that the, that the parent bird would go down and give the babies a chance to get away. Also that there's always a partner with God to make things go right. There's always what? A partner with God? God can't be effective without people and partners and beings to help things different. You know. Beautiful. Beautiful. Right? That's what the Kohanim are supposed to do. Okay. So let's look at Sforno, medieval commentary. And how I bore you on eagle's wings, a novel way that no one had gone through before. Just like the eagle that takes care of its young in the height of the sky where there is no other type of bird. And this is to distinguish you from all the other peoples and their pursuits to be for me. So in other words, Nothing like this had ever happened before in human history. That's why it's done this way. Sforno says, because this is unique in the history of, of humanity, and God wants to make it clear that Israel is exceptional. Like, this is an exceptional relationship, and this is a singularity. This has never been, it's never been done like this before. That a people was brought, right, into God's service this way, 
as if on eagle's wings. All right, let's go to my favorite, of course, Aviva Zornberg. I bore you on eagle's wings. The effect of the image is, of course, to convey intimacy, protection, love, speed. But also, I suggest, the enormous power of the adult eagle effortlessly carrying its young through the air. In other words, it engenders in the people a sense of their own lightness. It deflates their grandiosity and evokes a relation to God in which their kavod, their weightiness, becomes insignificant. So Zornberg is going to complicate the image. This is not just love and protection. It's also power. Yeah. Power. Don't think you're all that. I'm, I schlepped you. I carried you. You couldn't even fly that far. Right? I carry you. God's kavod, God's presence. Remember, she's playing on kavod presence, glory, and kaved, heavy. Pharaoh's heart was kaved. The chariot wheels in the mud were kaved. So sometimes you get kaved. Don't confuse, right? You're, that you're so kaved that you've got so much kaved, right? These are full of yourselves. I carried you. You're not that enormous. You're not that important. And I did it out of love, right? But, you know, were there, was there ever a time, never happened to me personally, that you snatched up a toddler? You never did that. <laughs> right. So there were times I snatched that child up. Because it's an instinctive proof to the toddler. Don't think you're so, you're, you can tantrum all you want. I outweigh you by 115 pounds, right? So there's this way that you both out of love, but also out of just feel how small you are, right? In comparison to me, I love you. So I'm going to just snatch you up and not do anything else. I pick them up lovingly in the sanctuary. I thought that you were running around with them. But not, sometimes not so, right? There, there's that kind of double edge of I love you and, and knock it off. And one of the ways you do it is you pick them up. Same with a dog, right? You, know, you pick it up to let it know who's the boss. Because if you can carry it, you're the boss. All right. My chihuahua mix does not allow me to pick her up. Just All right. So let's look at Tehillim because the other texts do something really beautiful with this imagery, which takes us back to last week or the week, the week before. So in the Psalms, Psalm 103, verse 5, God satisfies you with good things in the prime of life so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. What in the world does that mean? We're going to see. I'm not going to leave you hanging. Don't worry. David? All right. No, I, I don't want to ruin everything, but. No, I was. But, <laughs> I don't want to ruin everything, but. No, no, I've always been curious about this idiot of what. And so I did a little sort of scientific research. And they actually, the eagle maybe stay in the nest until they're 12 weeks or so old, and then they get kicked out, and that's what happens. So where's, like, there's, why, I mean, it just makes it more poetic, because I think they're kind of making all this 
step up a little bit about the wings and the tuning on the wings. But but it was a common understanding. So if it works, it works, right? It would also be possible that during the during those first twelve weeks, things can happen where the heroes may have to vacate the nest. Okay, that's what I that's where I was going. So if they have to flee then maybe they would do it. But it's not a thing that eagles do. Like, they'd have to be in danger. Well, clearly, clearly it happens somewhere in nature or it wouldn't be a resonant metaphor. But there are people who want to translate Nesher not as eagle, as vulture. That Nesher is probably a vulture, not an eagle. So, okay. So, um, so, so let's look at Psalms. When you're, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Let's look at Isaiah. But they who trust in God shall renew their strength as eagles grow new plumes. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall march and not grow faint. All right. So between Psalms and Isaiah, we're getting something about renewal. Remember we talked about the moon? We talked about renewal. So there's something about the eagle, the vulture, whatever, about Renewal. What is that? The nesher in Hebrew. Like, what is that? Well, joke is when the kids move out and the dog dies. So let's look at Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Berdachev, who says the Jewish people can be compared to an eagle. The feathers of the eagle fall off at the end of each year and are replaced by new feathers. Thus, the name nesher from the Hebrew to fall. God gave the Jewish people the characteristic of the eagle. We have the ability to renew ourselves, to change our ways, to become better. We have the ability to put the past behind us and strive towards the truth. So a Hasidic teaching on this idea of why the eagle, because it's about renewal, says the psalm and says Isaiah, because they lose their feathers, they molt and become new. Um, Now, let's see. Rabbi uh, Arthur Green brings the Or HaMeir. On our pasuk, on our, on our verse, we see from our own experience that sometimes a person can serve God in a particular way for a certain period of time. But as time passes, says uh, the Or HaMeir, as time passes, it is not as vital and beloved as it once was. The Baal Shem Tov read the verse, cast us not off at the time of our old age from the Psalms to mean Do not let time cast you into oldness. Sometimes a person's way of serving grows old because of the passage of time. In the same way, I read the verse, may your youth be renewed like that of the eagle. Our sages were aroused to explain that the eagle, now this commentator wants to argue it's the phoenix, sheds its feathers every thousand years and renews its youth. Right? Going back to Rashi and Moses Alshech. Feathers indicate a sort of garment. It is well known that all of our devotion, including the actual commandments, are nothing other than a garment. A person of true insight understands that even the different appearances in which God is garbed for the sake of human worship all lead to the same place, indicating God's blessed oneness. It is for our our sake that the creator appears in such varied garments so that each living person be able to arouse the inner heart to constantly discover God anew. When the category through which you now serve grows old for you, you will be able to switch it for another garment 
finding a place for it in your soul. I used to love X. Not so much anymore. Right now, I really like mindfulness practice. Right now, I really like chanting. Now, I really like silence. Find it doesn't matter. They are all just garments. And when one gets stale and old for you, you can take it off and put on another garment that feels right helpful in discovering our unity with the Creator. You very wisely mentioned a couple of weeks or months ago that. As you get older, as a matter of fact, until you get older, you can't make some understandings clear. And I think that's a new garment. You understand more after a lot of losses, mm-hmm. rebirths, that, that experience and experience, yes, that you have new garments. There you go. So when things grow old, you shed the former way of service and renew your use. Finding some wise clue that will awaken a renewal within you, leading you to a different garment. So it's not even a value to stay with the same practice forever. It says, right, the Or Hameir, saying you're supposed to shed and then find another one, right? And and another one. And you can go back and forth, right? Okay. Um, I think we'll leave this and go on. Uh, the value of your seeing this is that I raised you upon higher than the wings of eagles and brought you to me. It's all due to God's help. When you reach Chochmah, true inner wisdom, you will serve God even without that feathered garment. I have brought you to me, meaning we'll finally arrive at a place where God has brought us to God, meaning we don't need, we won't need the garment anymore. We'll just be there. Like we'll be one with the one. We'll get it that we're one with the one. Because of course we're one with the one. There's no, there's nothing else to be, right? We're all waves of the ocean. Like there, there's nothing else we can be, but we don't get that. We don't get it. We need all these garments. We need all the, all the trappings, all the stuff, right? In the liturgy, when the Torah is returned to the ark and we have the verse about, uh, and all will be gone. So that's Aleinu. Oh, that's at the end of Aleinu. Ushmo Echad. Right? God will be one and God's name will be one. Uh, I, God will be one and God's name will be one. What does that mean? Everyone will call God yod Ooh. It is blatant <laughs> that everyone is supposed, on that day, right? God will be one and God's name shall be one. It's Right there, people. Right there. All right. So let's look at what Rabbi Art Green says about the Me'or, the Or HaMe'ir, the light that enlightens. <laughs> From this grand moment of Sinai, it is also possible to learn lessons that will help us in our daily struggle to serve Yerevave. Yes, all our efforts to maintain freshness and excitement in our spiritual lives will eventually grow old. But we need to understand that this is itself a divine gift one that pushes us toward renewal, the shedding of our old feathers and the growing of new ones. We should rejoice at the process and not be afraid of it. I'm reminded, um, because you all know that I am now a pickleball addict. (laughs) I say it openly. I admit it openly. Um, So in pickleball, my uh, helpful teacher who is coaching me, um, she says, that because I bought a new racket 
and like, cause it's much more powerful and it's going to help me with my shot. And she's like, that's great, Amy. That's great. Just know that it's like Dumbo with the feather. <laughs> and I'm like, did she, did she just call me Dumbo? But I'm like, do you want to say more? And cause I did not remember. And she said, so Dumbo thinks Dumbo can only fly with the feather. But what Dumbo comes to learn is it's not the feather because eventually, right? Something happens. I don't know. I don't remember the story and the feather is gone and Dumbo realizes Dumbo can fly without the feather. I think that's literally the lesson of the feathers here, right? You think you need, I remember I went to, um, to a retreat uh, with my colleagues. I went to an RRA convention and I just didn't even think about it when I was packing to pack a talit. So we get to morning services with a bunch of rabbis and I realize I don't have a talus. And like, this is where you, you know, show off your tully, you know, that you got at some special blah, 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 blah. Um, and it's your particular taste and your style and your whatever. It's like, which tully shall I bring? Shall I bring several? Right. And, um, and I'm in my hotel room and I realize I don't have a talus. <laughs> and for a split second, I considered not going to services. Because it was like, how can I go to services without a talus with a bunch of rabbis? Like, right? It's, it's the feathers, right? And I was like, aim, honey, if you can't pray without a talit, you have a bigger problem than the fact that you didn't pack a talit, right? There, you have something bigger going on, right? And, but it was a, it was a major like moment of, oh, right. We can get so fixated on the form we can go get so fixated on the props on the method that we forget the point of the whole thing right it's just who we are so did did you just go without your i did i ripped up a bed sheet i took a towel and right and with my eyeliner i'm um, all right. So on the wings of eagles reflects another inspiring dimension of the great moment of the Exodus. God took us out of Egypt to soar with the vision and mission of the Torah, which elevates our lives. The mitzvot are a framework for living life on a higher plane, for soaring on the wings of eagles, directing our energy to productive and creative living, to forging close relationships with our creator, with our fellow human beings and with ourselves, ultimately building a better world. When we live on the wings of eagles, when we soar above the material view of our world, we get a different perspective on life. Freedom is about transcendence and about our potential to reach for greatness. Freedom gives us a renewed perspective on life, the ability to look down on the world from soaring heights and see its beauty, meaning, and purpose, to see its godliness. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday Morning Torah Study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.